It's the Chronicles of the Guna. It's our Euro 2020 daily podcast, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, I'm delighted to be joined by the brilliant Dan DeLuca. Welcome back, mate. How are you? Buonasera. I'm very well. Look at that, bringing the European feel to the Chronicles of Aguna. That's what I like to hear. Once every two years. There we go. Exactly. Exactly. How's it all going, mate? How are you? Yeah, good. Enjoying the sun. Yeah. Bit of football at the same time. How um, how amazing is it to have the combination of the two, though? Because, like, for me, I've been putting a television out in the garden, lighting the barbecue, cooking my dinner, and then literally sitting there for the entire evening watching the TV outside. I feel like I'm in a village in Cyprus. It's amazing. Yeah, it's been good. I, I've had a bit of a bit of a hard luck story, though, because I've got a projector. So I bought myself a big screen. I knew I was taking a chance, and the projector just can't compete with the sun. So yeah. I can barely, I can barely see the football. I can hear what's going on. So I've had to wheel my TV out. Um, gotta have both. Yeah, the the projectors. That's the problem with them. When it comes to, you know, I had one in my man cave for many, many years. You came round, you saw it, and it, and it was yeah. fine in darkness for an evening game. It was the best thing, but during the day, it was an absolute fucking nightmare. So I know exactly where you're coming from. I had to buy blackout blinds. And even then, it still wasn't great in the day. So feel your pain. Feel your pain. Really do. But that's enough waffle from us. Let's uh, get on and discuss the football. And of course, again, there have been three games today. We're recording this late on Monday night. Uh, let's kick off by uh, discussing the Scotland game. Now, of course, Scotland hadn't been at a major tournament for 23 years. And it was their big comeback today in front of a not quite full Hamden Park, but a Hamden Park that was full of voice, very passionate. But unfortunately, the result didn't go Scotland's way. Before we come on to talk about Patrick Schick's goal, because I know that's what everyone wants to hear about. What did you make of Scotland's performance overall, DDO? I was actually quite impressed with it. I thought they did okay. I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a, I thought it was a good performance. I thought it was... Um, a mature performance in a lot of ways. I thought they played to their level. Um, I thought there was a, you know, there was just a lack of composure and that was a difference between the two sides in the end. I thought um, they did what I expected them to do. I mean, there's a lot made of Scotland in well, tournaments past. We're going back years clearly, but you know, it's always glorious failure with Scotland. And, you know, there are other, there are, there are other clubs at domestic level can associate with that. Um, but, it it was it was a good display. I, I thought they um they controlled large spells of the game. They um they rose to the occasion in a lot of ways, but it was just the finer details where there was a lack of quality and um and that's what's that's what's let them down in the end, unfortunately. But but overall, you know, there was a, a lot to be encouraged. I think I felt for them in a way that the way the fixtures have been, the easiest team in the group they've played today. And um 
I think they would have benefited from another game before playing Czech Republic today, um, just to just to deal with that expectation. The expectation on Scotland was um, you know, a lot higher than it should have been for for understandable reasons. But I think that contributed to the lack of composure at the key moments, which which is the only reason they've lost the game today, in, in my mind. Yeah, someone someone texted me during the game and said, "This is such a Scotland game," and I think what they meant yeah. by that was it was just all passion. Um, you know, full of sort of power, um, you know, really stuff from the heart, but they just, the actual quality <coughs> wasn't quite there. Um, I think you make a great point. I think, you know, looking at the statistics from the game as a kind of barometer, and I know statistics don't always tell the full story, but you're talking about Scotland having 58% of the ball, 19 shots on goal. Um in comparison to, to the Czech Republic's 10, but the Czech Republic managed seven of those to be on target. So seven out of 10 and for Scotland, only four of that 19 were on target. So you're right to point out, I think the lack of composure in certain areas, particularly in front of goal. I think, you know, Scotland had waited so long for this to come along. And, and I think it was, you know, probably a bit overwhelming maybe the occasion yeah. caused them to kind of almost be too keen at certain points and almost, you know, it's great to see players playing with their heart and, uh, you know, their heart on their sleeve and all of that. But sometimes you can overdo that. And I think you saw the composure of the Czechs in comparison. And I think once Czech Republic scored the opening goal as well, I think it became a really difficult task for Scotland because they then went from going a hundred miles an hour to going 150 <coughs> miles an hour. I and then we also happened. This is um. I mean, we're going to talk about Chick's second goal, presumably in a bit more detail. But where it stems from is a shot from a Scottish player from twenty-five yards that's not got any chance whatsoever of going to where it needs to go. And you say, well, you know, you have a hundred shot block shots a game. It doesn't mean it should end up in the other net. Of course, it shouldn't. But it was just. It seemed to be that that keenness and that over exuberance to do something spectacular um, from long distance that resulted in poor decision-making. And, you know, I felt in that situation, there was a really easy ball out to the right. I think it was Forrest over there at that time. I can't remember exactly. Instead, we've had a shot that's ricocheted to Patrick Schick. And then obviously what happened after that was, was quite spectacular, but there was just some poor decision-making. I think, like you say, I don't like stats too much. They, they can tell a story if you want it to, but where I say a lack of composure, I don't look at the shots, that have hit the target versus the shots that haven't. Um, I'm talking about the shots that have hit the target. And to me, there's a target. And then there's a target, which is the corners of the goal. And I look at Robinson strike, which has gone straight down the middle for the keeper to tip over. Um, was it Dykes um, at, at the yep. end? Who, who's, you know, he's connected with the ball and put it goalwards. All he was thinking of was putting it goalwards. He wasn't thinking about how to find the corner, which was a, a really easy finish. And I think at the top level that Robinson, Robertson, that was clearly got a lot of quality. Um, so that was a clear lack of composure. Dykes maybe less quality, but you should have enough as an international striker. We we spoke very briefly in the England game yesterday um, how you know the number nine didn't 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 get into the game. We saw earlier with Lewandowski didn't get into the game. Top level this tournament, you're going to get one or two chances a game maximum. And that's where the quality really needs to shine through. And Scotland just didn't have enough. Yeah, agreed. And 
when I say like, uh, and I talk about Scotland, you know, kind of going a hundred miles an hour, playing with their heart on their sleeve and the lack of composure, etc. I say that, but I also want to make it clear that I think there were plenty of positives for Steve Clark to take away from this game, because I think he cannot, you know, question his players' commitment. He cannot question how much they wanted it. Um, you know, they were without Kieran Tierney as well, which I thought was a major blow, um, you know, to lose him as part of that defence. It's not to say that, you know, Scotland don't have decent players to to come in and fill in that position, but Kieran Tierney and Andrew Robertson are the two players in that side. You know, maybe with John McGinn as well, that are at a different level, I think, to the rest of the squad. You could probably include McTominay in there as well. So to lose one of those, I think was was quite unsettling. And I know that Steve Clark says he's going to be back for the England game. But how do you think Scotland would fare against England, Dan? Because we've seen them both play now. Um, I think, you know, we can all agree that England have the superior squad. I think there'll be a lot of England fans out there who would have been looking at that Scotland game before the, the tournament started and maybe seen it as a bit of a banana skin. Do you think England have anything to fear when they take on Scotland on Friday? Yeah, I, I do. I do, and it's 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 the derby element of the game that makes it um, makes it unpredictable. Scotland will play better against England than Czech Republic will, and that's because of that of that of the derby nature of the game. So I think England have got a lot to fear in terms of England will set out to play their own game, and I think for large spells of the game they're not going to be able to. I do expect that the quality is going to shine through. Um, Again, I think you might see a very similar game to what you saw today, where you see Scotland, um, certainly for the first 45, maybe 60 minutes, really, really trying to um, to di- dictate the pace and, and create opportunities more, more so than chances. And and I think ultimately, um, I do I do think England will, will come through um, by one way or another, but I think it'll be an uncomfortable England victory. It's it's um, it's the game you don't want. It's a it's a bit like in the Champions League where you just don't want to draw an English side. It doesn't matter where they are in the table. It's just anyone but an English side. And I think for England, whilst they'll be looking forward to the occasion, you know, it's apart from the elite teams, it's the hardest game they could they could have because Scotland will play better against them than they will against their opponents in the group, and that, that's always dangerous. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, go on, go ahead. Mate. I was going to say, I think as well, where where it gets difficult for Scotland now is this is the game they wanted to win. This is the game they needed to win. If they win today, you know that that they've got one foot in the next round with with three teams going through. Having that first will take a lot out of them. And I think that the issue with Scotland now is: are they going to start trying to mix mix things up? Are they going to recognise that it was a reasonable performance today, or are they going to try and change things immediately? Slot in someone like Billy Gilmore, who's had a few good games. It was only um, it was only six months ago Scotland played Czech Republic at Hampden and beat them. You know, Scotland were expecting to were expecting themselves to win this game today, whether they would have admitted it openly or not. And I just wonder if they're gonna they're gonna try too hard to to mix things up, um, and it's gonna put a lot of pressure on players who perhaps aren't ready for that sort of game against England. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you make, and and I think it is important that Steve Clark does acknowledge the positives of that performance and doesn't veer away from what they tried to do too much. I think Steve Clark is someone who's been in football and around football for long enough to probably, you know, be at a point where he can differentiate between, you know, what was down to his selection and what was just down to 
them not being composed or players not taking their chances, etc., etc. So you'd hope that it'll make the right call in that sense. But I agree with you. That is kind of the, the big point here, isn't it, for Scotland? Acknowledge that the performance was good without being accepting of the result. Um, and you, you know, you stick to your principles and you go with what you've been what doing in the preparations, in the build-up to the tournament, and you hopefully uh, continue on and get the result that you need. We've got to talk about that Patrick shit goal. Um, what a fucking goal. Excuse my language. What a yeah. fucking goal. And and the reason I say that is not because, you know, he's seen the keeper off. He's like, loads of people have done that over the years. You know, it's not a new thing. But the angle from which he bends the ball in, I, I just think it's an incredible strike, an incredible finish. Patrick Schick said post-match that he'd noticed the Scottish goalkeeper coming really high up the pitch earlier on in the game. So he already had it in mind. But to execute that was sensational. And and DDL, for you, where does that kind of stand in terms of the best goals uh, in the European Championships in, in years gone by? I'm not asking you to name all the best ones but I mean do you put that one right up there is it that good <clears throat> yeah I think it's um I think it's top five um uh, I think it's top five I think I'll struggle to find five better goals there's a, there's a few big ones that spring to mind straight away but it, it's certainly up there and the reason when I'm comparing goals in history I always look for something I haven't seen before you know yeah. Dennis Burkamp goal. Dennis Burkamp's goal is high up on the list of all-time Premier League goals because I've not really seen a turn of that nature before. Is there better goals? Maybe, probably. Does it get elevated because of the uniqueness of it? Absolutely, and as well it should. Um, so I look at this goal. I've not seen this before at the, uh, the European Championships. We're starting to see these goals a little bit more frequently um, in, in, in recent years. We, we've seen Rooney... Um, hit a couple. We saw Kima Roof um, score one this season, um, which was ridiculous. Um, I think Kane scored one against Juventus. Okay, a preseason friendly, but the goal's the same size. And, and what we're seeing with a lot more teams reverting to the sweeper keeper and playing high lines, players now know that there's a fair chance that the goalkeeper is going to be a fair distance out. And once you've got that in your head early on, a proper top quality striker is only waiting for you know half an opportunity a, a, a ball to break the goal doesn't move you know the goal is always there you know where the goal is it's the same size it's the same height so we're starting to see a few more of these goals but on the highest stage to execute it and have the the confidence to take it on you know it's absolutely fantastic and like you say the arc of the ball it wasn't a it wasn't a hopeful i'm just going to smash this towards the goal and see where it goes it was a it was a a well executed absolutely superb superb goal and you know worthy of winning the game there's no doubt about that for sure i think we've probably seen the goal of the tournament there's no doubt about that and and obviously the night after andre yarmolenko scored an absolute cracker <laughs> for the ukraine and you thought well that's going to take some beating and then upstepped patrick Schick, who's had a bit of a strange career patrick Schick, cuz he had Spent a lot of time in Italy. You know, it didn't really work out for him, I didn't think, when he was at Roma. Um, obviously, he's back in the Bundesliga now, and he's I think he scored nine goals last season, which isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but yeah, um, you know, he's an interesting player, Patrick Schick. He's someone who's got ability, someone who's always shown ability, but has not always delivered consistently enough. But he's got two goals <coughs> 
in this uh, in this opening round of fixtures. And uh, I'm not saying he's going to win the tournament golden boot, but he's up there with Romelu Lukaku as it stands. Uh, let's uh, let's move on and let's talk a little bit about Poland versus Slovakia. Uh, Slovakia came out 2-1 winners in that one. I didn't actually expect much from this game going into it. It was one of those ones where, you know, with the with there being three games a day, you've got here in the UK, you've got your 2pm, your 5pm and your, your 8pm. You almost have to sacrifice one kind of. And when I say sacrifice it, I don't mean not watch it, not pay attention to it at all, but... There's got to be one, I don't know about you, but for me, where I'm going to pay less attention to. And looking at the fixtures today, this was the one where I went, OK, if I've got to do something while half watching this, then I'll do that. But actually, I was gripped by the game really, really early on. And of course, Slovakia took the lead uh, when a goal uh, was uh, judged to have been a Wojciech Szczesny own goal. I thought that was really harsh on the striker, though, Dan, because... He did some excellent work in the build-up. And when it hits the post and hits the back of the goalkeeper like that, I mean, it's not. there's not much Wojciech Szczesny can do, is there? No, no, there isn't. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's harsh on the keeper, it's harsh on the striker, and you just think, well, you know, the goal's been forced by the forward. Why, why, why can't it just be awarded to the forward? It's, well, who who does it really harm? <laughs> Do you know? Exactly. But, um, yeah, it's it's just it's one of those things. Again, it's seen a few times before. Not often with penalties when they bounce off the post and hit the keeper and roll back in. And it's just um, you know, there's not a lot that can be done. I thought, like you say, the, the build up play by um, oh, his name escapes me. Mac, 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 ah, yep, yep, Mac. Yep. yep. Excuse me. Um, and. and you know, really direct run. You know, it 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 deserved the goal. Um, to to be fair, the way he knocks it through the defender's legs there, and I think that epitomised a lot of Slovakia's play in the first half. They were very direct. They were keen to get forward. They were keen to take the game to to Poland that they got in a, in attacking positions, and um, it it was a really exciting game of football. It it was a shame um that the red card came for what for for what it came for. I didn't think the second challenge was that bad. Um. And I think Poland will probably feel a bit hard done by in, in, in that respect. But the thing with Poland, um, and I'm going to be a bit critical of Poland now in the sense that they have got the best striker in the world today. I think I think most people would would agree on that. Uh, you know, he's certain. I think he's the best striker in the world. You know, there's a there, there's two or three others who can stake a claim, but in terms of sustainable goal machine type status, you've got Robert Lewandowski and. You look at the last World Cup where they didn't get out of a really weak group. Um, Lewandowski, no goals. You look at them today and they couldn't really work out how to play to his strengths. And, and I think, you know, as a one-off game, it's okay. But I'm starting to question whether Poland should be doing better. You know, that with, 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 with the play, with, with, well, certainly with that player and a couple of other decent players in, in and around him. And I, I've been a bit disappointed over a series of games with Poland and, and what they produce. Um, having said that, I did expect them once, once they got back into the game with a horrendous goal. Let's be fair; it's um, it's like a, it was like when a tennis player double hits the ball. He, he's completely <laughs> scuffed. The, the finish is so bad that it's gone in. If that makes sense. And then he had a chance about two, three minutes later, didn't he? Which he just didn't get hold of. And um. You know, you kind of look at that chance and think, well, if it fell to the right man, it might have been a different result. But um, I think Poland are, Poland are going to struggle again to get out of this group. Um, 
if I'm honest, and they might be looking at best at one of the third place places, one of the third place finishes now, which is, um, you know, it's up against it. Serial underwhelmers at major tournaments. That's what Poland have been over the years, which is, like you say, it's surprising because they've got players, you know, that <coughs> over the years, especially they've had a lot of players based particularly in the Bundesliga where you'd go, he's a decent player, you know, and he looks like he could compete at, at that level. But as we often see at international level, sometimes managers can have individuals at their disposal, but they're not always able to gel them together and put them together. And I think that's probably one of the things that you could throw at Poland as a bit of a criticism. There's been a lack of cohesion in the national team that when you look at the talent at their disposal, probably shouldn't be there. But they're not the only ones. Um, you know, there are a number of, uh, of nations that you could you could say that of. But you're completely right. You know, they, they, they've disappointed in their opening game. They're not out of the tournament by any means. But, you know, they would have been looking at that group. They'd have been looking at Spain. They'd have been looking at Sweden. More so Spain and thinking, we probably need to pick up three points <coughs> against think, Slovakia. I think, though, like before the tournament, if you're a big nation, let's say you're England or Italy, um, not one of the absolute elite nations, you probably don't care about anyone, but let's say you're England or Italy or Portugal, and you look at that and you get Poland in the second round, I think you'd be like, oh, that's a bit that's a bit tricky. We, we, we try and avoid that. And and having watched the game today, I wouldn't I wouldn't be afraid of Poland at all in any way, shape, or form. And that's what the game did for me today, watching Poland. It's not about a result. It's about the performance, the general threat level, the style and how I think they'd match up. And I don't think they've got an upset in them. I don't think they're capable of reaching the last eight of this tournament, which I think is what they, they should be aiming for. Um, so I was quite, I, I enjoyed the game. Um, I enjoyed the finish from the centre half as well. Um, oh, sensational from screen. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I did enjoy that. But overall, I was, you know, I, I came to watch Poland today. When I sat down, I wanted to see what Poland had for me and uh, and, and I left a bit disappointed overall. Yeah, I, I feel the same. They certainly uh, let people down uh, today. But of course, they've got time to still turn it around so we won't be ruling them out just yet. Got to give a shout out to Milan Skriniar for that finish because that was brilliant. Um, lethal finish. Robert Lewandowski-like finish, except it was for the other team and in a different colour. And he's a bloody centre-half. But anyway, it was just so expertly put away. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that goal uh, from Milan Skriniar. Uh, let's come on to talk about the game between Spain and Sweden. Obviously finished in a 0-0 draw. Um, you, in our WhatsApp group, described Spain as boring. And I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that. But before I do that, I'm going to share with you what, what a good friend tweeted earlier on. And he said... And it, you'll have to, this is a late night show anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Spain are like soft porn. You know, all the nice touches, but no actual penetration. Is that there fair? Come, there comes a point you've got to stick it in. That's just how it goes. Um, <clears throat> Spain bored me a lot for the first 15 minutes. Um, to be fair, they did pick up, they did pick up after that. I think um, what what summed Spain up for me was was Morata's miss after about you know thirty five minutes or so. That was an where, awful miss, wasn't it? Yeah, it's almost like he's tried to curl it around the goalkeeper for no reason. And what I see with Spain is, 
half the stuff they do is for no reason. It's a lot like Manchester City sides, but you know they're obviously better than the opponents, so they'll win. Spain are not better than the opponents, player for player at the minute. I think squad wise, that they're, they're struggling to re- rebuild their team after losing some, you know, some absolute once in a generation talents. Well, there's two of them, so twice in a generation then. So they're struggling there. Um, they've got no players from Real Madrid in their squad for the first time in history, which is um, which is a quite baffling stat. And I don't think they really knew what to do. The reason I, I'll elaborate on why I said they were boring, it was predictable. I knew what they were going to do. And it was only after Sarabia came on, after about 70 minutes, did they start to do something different. And then they looked dangerous again. Because I, I, from minute 45 to minute 70, I looked at it and I thought, I don't think they're going to score anymore. Um, I, I couldn't see anymore where the goal was going to come. Then Sarabia came on a couple of sloppy first touches, but then they were getting the ball wide. Then he was crossing the ball in. Then there was other options. They were far too narrow. They shrunk the pitch. You know, you're playing 11 aside on a seven aside pitch. It's like when you played football in the playground at school and then you ended up with like 30 aside. And, it, you know, it, it's, it was far too narrow. There was no width to their game. And I think with the players they've got, um, they, where they started in the first half, they had Torres particularly, Fran Torres, who was way out wide on, on the right touch line, but they weren't getting the ball out to him. Then he wasn't coming in when he needed to. Then in the second half, he almost started inwards, um, but there was too many people in one square. I don't think there was any kind of um, thought process. It was more, we're going to pass and pass and pass and control the ball and see if a, a, an opportunity opens up. And, and their best chance came from a complete Swedish error and Maratta completely fluffed it. But I think overall, if I'm Spain, there, there are some good players there. Clearly I worry about them defensively just with the, the ease that are really poor an ambitious Swedish side that's managed to get in twice. And the second one was a horrendous miss to be fair, wasn't it? By Marcus Berg, but they need to be, they need to have more options. They need to be able, they need to have the ability to go wide and through the middle at the same time. They need to pick a, a squad that enables both of those options because the reality with Spain is they're not as good as other teams we've seen and they're going to have yeah. to, um, they're going to have to find different ways to win. Yeah, for sure. And just to quickly touch on, on Sweden, you know, you're right. I think at times they were incredibly unambitious. I thought the bright spark in, in Sweden's performance was a man that's actually been quite heavily linked with a move to Arsenal this summer. That's Alexander Isak up top. But why would you take him off after 70 minutes? He created, or he was, you know, in the first half, he got that shot off that was obviously deflected onto the post. And then his footwork and ability and kind of awkwardness, if you like, created that opportunity for Marcus Berg that you've just mentioned. And then you take him off. I mean, if en- if ever there was one thing to signify just how unambitious this Swedish side were at that point in the game, that felt like it was it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, because it's the first time I've seen him play a whole 90 minutes, by the way. I've seen, I've seen bits of him. Obviously, I watch a hell of a lot of football, as you know, in all sorts of weird places. First time I've seen a whole 90 minutes. It reminded me of like a a shit Paolo one-shop, um, <laughs> the way he just gangled his way through. But he always seemed to end up with a ball, and he and he was a threat. And the thing with with players like that, even when they're not doing anything, they they hold they hold opponents back. They occupy players. You know, he doesn't have to be doing anything. And as soon as he went off, you saw Spain take over, and that was probably the period of the game, apart from maybe the first 10 minutes where Spain looked at their strongest. But I thought it was a, a strange decision to take him off. I thought they risked a point 
um, by doing that. There's a really big point for Sweden because now they've only got, a, you know, they win one other game and they're, they're into the second round. Now, the difference between Sweden and Poland is I believe Sweden are capable of stealing a result against yeah. a, a big side. So for them to smuggle their way through the group, like they did in the last World Cup, to be fair, I mean, they were eliminated by England in the end, weren't they? Um, I, you know, I, I thought Sweden had a game plan. They executed it relatively well. They're going to have to... Um, they're going to have to find ways of, uh, you know, creating a little bit more and, and getting someone to support um, Isak when he picks the ball up. I didn't feel, I felt there's a couple of times he got the ball where he was really isolated and he, he managed to work wonders just to um, take the sting out of the game. But um, yeah, really unambitious and a, a strange substitute, strange substitution that sort of summed the game up in a way. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, just going to pick your brains on a couple of other bits and pieces, uh, Deluca, uh, aside from today's games. Obviously, you're, you're a massive Italy fan. Um, what have you made of Italy's start to the tournament? I know it was a few days ago now, but <coughs> the kind of level of expectation around Roberto Mancini's side has elevated humongously over the last few days after that really good performance against Turkey. I think as good as Italy were, Turkey were were awful. And I think that's important. Um, yep. But how are you feeling now? Are you feeling a lot more positive having watched them kind of blow the Turks away in the way they did? And how are you feeling about the rest of the tournament from an Italian perspective? Yeah, yeah much, much better. Much better. Obviously, failed to qualify for the last World Cup, which was a devastating moment in my family history. Um, tears. Terrible. Um, I'm over it, honest, honestly. Um, but Just mentioned it every day, but he's over it. Heartbreaking. <laughs> sometimes sometimes now I can hear the screaming um but it was a really good performance and what what I liked about it was how everyone knows what the historical culture of Italian football is I didn't see any of it I didn't see any the only the closest we got to it was Chiellini celebrating a block in the 92nd minute everything else was swatted aside and we were playing this new modern brand of football that has been a constant in winning international sides for the last 10, 10, 10 to 12 years. Mancini has reinvented the way Italians play football um, for, for his tenure following, following the last world cup where last world cup failure, where it became, it's become apparent since Italy won the world cup, that the way Italy have played historically doesn't work anymore. Teams are wise to it. Teams typically find goals and it was the energy, um, I would say Italian teams in the past have been lazy in a clever way, intelligently lazy. There was none of that. Mancini's got a completely new style. The energy we played with, still pressing after 3-0 up, swarming over Turkey, not giving them hardly a sniff in 90 minutes. So I was really impressed. And again, what I was looking for in the game was, you know, my, for Italy, if we get to the semi-final, I'll be absolutely delighted before the tournament. But now I look at it and say, if we draw a France or a... England, who are the second favourites, or Belgium, we can compete and can win on our day. And I think as a football fan, that's all you really want. You want to, you don't want to go into a game thinking we've got no chance of winning this. And, and what I saw in Italy was a lot of their players who quietly aren't mentioned because they're not real, really household names over here, yeah. like like Barella putting a, a fantastic performance. Um, uh, both fullback, both fullbacks had a great game. Insignia, who's a very very good player. Um, had, had a really good game. And I looked at it and I thought, there's still Verratti to come into this side as well. So there was a lot a lot there. I still worry about what the defence will do against a top, top attack. Um, 
But what I saw was a midfield who can compete and a team who's got goals in it. That That's the first time Italy have scored three goals in a European Championship match ever. So that's, what we're, that's what we're talking about here. Italy don't go and do what we saw on, on Friday night. So it, it was really nice to see. Yeah, for sure. And I was delighted for Chiro Immobile as well, because I know look, he's not had a bad season at Lazio by any stretch of the imagination. He scored 20 goals in 34 league appearances. But there was a lot of talk and a lot of question marks around whether his form going into the tournament made him the right man to lead the line for Italy and whether he was up to the task. And to see him get off the mark so early on in the competition, I think was great. Um, just finally, DDL, um, obviously we're going to speak again over the coming days, going to get you back on and we're going to do uh, m- many more podcasts. So we'll save some of the talking points for another time. But I'm going to be asking everyone that comes on this question over the next few days because I'm really interested in what you view the answer to be. Obviously, here in the UK, we've got two broadcasters showing us the Euros at the moment. We've got the BBC and ITV. Whose coverage have you enjoyed more so far and why? Um, it's BBC. Um, and I think I, I'm at that age and I've seen enough tournaments now that there's that there's that loyalty in, my back of, in the back of my mind. Um, and it's always been the BBC for me. And I... I I enjoy it. I enjoy the um, I enjoy the way they put the show together. I always have enjoyed that. It starts off. Let's start with the basics. And this isn't the answer you want to hear. The fact there isn't an advert, you know, yeah. that's that's not, you know, that's that's not that's not what you've asked me. You've asked me about the coverage. But, you know, over the BBC, over the years, the BBC have always had a, a better production uh, for me. I think um, in recent times, some of their co-commentators have have slipped below par. Um but BBC is still my favourite. And when the final is on and I've got a choice between the two, it's, it's highly likely to be the BBC where I go to. I like Gary Lineker as a host. Me um, too. And what I like about Gary Lineker as a host is he hosts. Um, I want my host to host. I don't want my host to be part of the panel. I don't want my host to answer silly questions. Um, I think Alex Scott is, is a fantastic pundit. Um, she's very, very knowledgeable. I like Ian Wright. Um which you'll be pleased to hear. You might be surprised to hear that, but I like Ian Wright because he expresses his view as a fan, but he doesn't let his bias get in the way in a, some people let their bias get in the way in a funny way, like Ian Wright. And some people do it in an idiot way, like Jamie Carragher, you know? <laughs> so, so uh, I, li- I like the team. I like, I like the pundits. Um, and um, yeah, BBC for me. Yeah. See, I'm, I was always on the fence with this one um, because like tonight's game, take it, for example, the Spain game tonight, right? Where we've just watched. I love the quality of the panel. Somebody like Rio Ferdinand. I think Rio Ferdinand's a good pundit. I think Cesc Fabregas is an incredibly good pundit. I think he's so intelligent, so calm in the way he puts his points across. I think it's brilliant. Alan Shearer. Yeah, I'm not so sure about Alan Shearer, but he's Alan Shearer. But as you said, Gary Lineker's a, a really great host. If I could take Clive Tilsley and Ali McCoist, that combination from ITV and bring them over to BBC so I don't have to listen to Danny Murphy or Jermaine yes, Jameson fair. co-commentary, then that is the dream team for me. I actually like the BBC's commentators, but I'm like you said, I'm not a big fan of the co-commentators. Um, but then, you know, Lee Dixon isn't exactly... Uh, 10 out of 10 on ITV either. So that's my that's my dream pairing at the moment. I mean, I tuned in to the Holland-Ukraine game last night 
And the minute I heard Clive Tilsley and Ali McQuest, I thought, yeah, the Euros have started now. This yeah, is the yeah, proper stuff. Yeah, I do but like Clive. All I, the rest I, is... Uh, I'll just tell your, li- your listeners a really quick story. And this is Go a ahead. true story. It's a true story. And I'll dig out the evidence. So I wrote to the BBC um, recently. It was after an FA Cup game. And I, I it, it was a freedom of information request, which I, I'm entitled to as a, as a taxpayer. Um, and, and you are too. You can write to the BBC and ask for a freedom of information request. They didn't respond, which I don't think is exactly legal. But I asked who they interviewed when Danny Murphy was appointed as co-commentator. Um, they haven't got back to me, and I should follow it up, really, because um, I'm entitled to an answer. And I just want to know, because I just don't understand how that has ever come to be. I can understand where people don't like Jermaine Jenner, so I can understand why people don't like a whole host of people they don't like. But I can't understand how anyone can like listening to Danny Murphy. Don't, it, don't get it. It's not even though it, for me, it's not even like I have an issue with Danny Murphy, the man or Jermaine genus, the man. I just, you know, you look at that as it's, it's supposed to be the benchmark in broadcasting. Yeah. And there has got to be somebody who, I don't know if you, well, you, you watched the polling game earlier, Emma Hayes um, on co-commentary. She provided way more insight as yeah. a co-commentator than Danny Murphy or Jermaine Genus ever do. And they're not, you know, like Ali McCoist, right? He, he's not even that insightful, but he's a character and he's quite funny and yeah. you enjoy him for that. So you've either got to have one or the other, but you can't just be dull like Danny Murphy or yeah. like Jermaine Genus, who's uh, I'm convinced has a book of cliches open in front of him and just reels them off as he goes through games of football. But there you go. Here's what it is is what it is we're going to leave it there uh we've done a good uh 37 38 minutes or so uh, of course we're going to be back uh with another episode which will be dropping for you guys on what day is it tomorrow tuesday so that'll be dropping on wednesday morning uh where we'll be looking back at the games that take place on tuesday and there's a couple of tasty games there as well uh so very much looking forward to that Uh, Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already and you are watching us on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. Um, It really, really does help. And if you're listening via the audio platforms, please do leave us a review. Thank you for your comments in the chat box. We will catch you all very, very soon with more. We've got some Arsenal content coming to you tomorrow at around about lunchtime. Been a little bit light on Arsenal content in the last couple of days because to be quite honest... I've got Euro 2020 fever and all the transfer rumours that we're hearing at the moment just feel a little bit far-fetched and like a little bit of bullshit, if I'm being completely honest. So going to be very selective over which of those we actually give airtime to over the next couple of weeks whilst we're deep into the Euros. Hope you're enjoying the Euros content and I'll catch you all very soon. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.